living out in the fields nearby, keeping a watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to have you talk with somebody near you for a moment. And I want you, as you talk with the person near you, to share what an ordinary day is. Say, okay, so not a day that's really exciting and not a day that's really frustrating. Just a normal day. What do you do on a normal day? Go ahead, talk with the people around you. pull it together. I had a good one up here from Jack and Evelyn. They just said, we don't do a whole lot. <laughs> we just kind of sit. <laughs> I asked that question because in all the time that I've read over this text, I've never really stopped to think how ordinary of a day it was for the shepherds. They were just out in the field. They were going to work their normal night shift. I mean, this is what they did. Day in and day out, they would, during the day, a few of them would sleep and some of them would go out and walk the sheep around and at night, they'd lead the sheep back to a pen and those who had been working all day would go to sleep and those who had been sleeping all day would get up and work. And their job at night was just to walk around the pen and make sure that no thieves came and tried and steal a couple sheep and no wild animals came to get the sheep. A pretty laid-back job. Dirty job. Not great hours. 
but it was an ordinary job. And they were just working their job. They were out in the field having an ordinary night, minding their own business, well, minding the sheep's business. And all of a sudden, the heavens open up. Something extraordinary happens. But they start off in a very ordinary place. And I want us to keep that in mind, and we'll talk about this text a little bit, but I want us to keep that ordinariness of this in mind for a moment. There's actually behind this text uh, a whole struggle that's been going on in the society for a, a number of centuries already. There's a group of people in Israel often called the Zealots. There's a few other groups that have been around them for a couple hundred years. They have repeatedly raised up a leader who can overthrow the Roman government. They've said the great problem in the world is the Romans. And we need to get them out of here so that we can restore Israel to being the great people that we are. They were very nationalistic. They were very much bent on, on finding military ways to solve the world's problems, especially to solve their problems. And, and they had revolt after revolt after revolt that they led. In fact, they became so known for the revolts that the Roman Empire figured out that it better station a few different garrisons of troops throughout Judea so that there were always soldiers around, that the next time a revolt could come along, they were ready to squash these Israelite people who were always trying to overthrow the government. They lived in intensity. The world's problems can be solved if we just kick butt, would kind of be their motto. But that's having a tug-of-war in the background with another group of people. There's a group of religious leaders Pharisees and Sadducees, we often call them, but they were gathered around the high priests. And they figured out in Jerusalem, if they distanced themselves from those, those zealots, those fanatics over there, and they just looked more like the Roman culture, and they went along with the world around them, they could maintain some sense of power, a, a place of authority in the culture. And in fact, they could live their life the way they wanted if they just didn't upset the Romans, if they just went along with what the world wanted. And you have this group of Pharisees and Sadducees who, who continually go up to Herod and the other leaders that have been there, and they say things like, hey, we got this, we'll, we'll calm it down. Don't worry, we know who's causing the problems, we'll fix it for you. We've got it. Just, just don't send your soldiers anymore. Everything's going to be okay. And so you have two different approaches. One that says, appease the powers of the world and you'll be okay. And you have another storyline in the background saying, no, fight the powers. Take over. We'll control things. And in the middle, you get people like Mary and Joseph who are just trying to survive. They're told, go and register. Pick up your belongings, leave the town you live in, go and register in another place for a government census and pay your taxes. Joseph's a carpenter, a tradesman, just trying to make ends meet. 
his new wife, Mary, is pregnant. They're traveling a great distance to Bethlehem, the old ancestral home, to pay taxes. How ordinary can you get? Not getting involved in trying to overthrow things, not really getting involved in the appease the government officials. They're just trying to be faithful day to day. And they happen to a place that's packed full of people. They can't find an inn or a place to stay or any extended distant relative to, to kind of hang out with. They end up in kind of a barn slash cave place. A place where the animals were kept. A rather ordinary dingy place. That's where they end up. And it's for them and, and the ordinariness of the shepherd's day that God breaks in. God steps in with a different storyline than this tug-of-war. God's approach to the story is in some sense to say, your great problem in the world isn't about power and might and who's in control. It's not about getting the economics and the political conversation right so that everybody's happy. No. The problem in the world is something different. And it shows up not just in the extremes, but in the ordinariness. Your problem's much deeper than the government and the military and the economics and the culture. The problem that needs changing and needs fixing is in the very heart of humanity. And so something very ordinary has to happen. A child has to be born. That's the shock in this storyline. God who steps into our struggle to try to make everything right and try and fix the world, God steps in and says, your solutions aren't going to help you. They're only going to make the problems worse. I'm going to step into your story in a way you never expected, but in a very ordinary way because what needs to happen is very ordinary to your experience. The brokenness in the world is something you experience day to day, even in the normal days. You experience sin. A brokenness in your relationship with one another, a brokenness in your relationship to the earth, a brokenness ultimately in your relationship with God. And it's in that space of ordinary brokenness that God steps in in this story with a child. A child whose task is much bigger than anything any of us have ever lived. A child whose birth is intended to fix humanity to make all things new. A child who's born, well, who's born with a mission. How many of you know what your name means? How many of you know why you were named that? Yeah? It's a family connection? Yeah? That's oftentimes, right? It's a relative or a grandparent or, or kind of someone in the family system. 
Did you catch Jesus' names when we read the Matthew passage? Jesus and Emmanuel. You know what Jesus means? Today it would roughly be Joshua in, in our English language. The Lord saves. Matthew describes it as this child, Jesus, who's being born, is the one to save people from their sins. His name has his mission in it, that he's the one who's to save them from their sins. Now, there, let me tell you, there were a lot of people over here who, who would say, here's our new leader, here's the one who's going to save us. And they would say, save us from the Roman Empire. And there are people over here who would say, here's the one who's going to save us from any more trouble if, if this person can have the political and economic savvy to make things right. And God says in the midst of this story, no, what you need is someone with an ordinary name, <laughs> Jesus, the Lord saves, to come and make all things right. But he's not going to do it in the way you expect. In fact, Jesus' life in many ways is ordinary, so ordinary we only hear one thing, well, two things. We hear when he was about two years old about the Magi coming, and we hear when he's about 12 years old that, that he goes to the temple and he ditches his parents. Right? And that's about it. We don't hear anything else till he's in his 30s. An ordinary life. Living as one of us. That second name, Emmanuel. God with us. But then, it's not so ordinary, is it? That child Jesus who was born to save us for our, from our sins is also born to die for our sins. We stand here on this Christmas day celebrating and remembering his birth and, and we live in a culture where we want to give gifts and we want to shout, Yay! Jesus is born! In fact, we've actually done a birthday cake for Jesus sometimes. Hi, how are you? We do a birthday cake, and we celebrate Jesus' birthday. And, and I've been in church services where on Christmas Day, they sing happy birthday to Jesus. It's a great thing. And we get all excited and all caught up in this season. But we often forget that this season actually is pointing to another season. This birth of Jesus points us to the cross of Jesus. This birth enters us into a story and pushes us in along in a story that says this child who is born as a gift to all, born to you. You hear that to the shepherds? This child is born to you. And the shepherd's response is to go running and see what, what's going on. They're all excited about it. But it's a child born to die. Because the solution for our sins is not another military kingdom. It's not another economic or religious or political kingdom. It's a kingdom that is aligned once again with God and that could only be accomplished through Jesus' death and his resurrection that would come after that. We live in a space today, ordinary days, I don't know if you caught it in one of the songs we were singing, but it, 
It has that, that come and be born in our hearts today. While we remember the history of Jesus being born, we still live in a space, sometimes we call it the already not yet. God's already come, God's already provided the solution for our sins and the brokenness in our world in Jesus Christ. He's already given us that gift, but it's not yet been fully realized in our lives. And so we stand here on Christmas Day, both celebrating the gift that has already been given, but also with a sense of longing in our heart that we've not yet fully realized the freedom from our sins and the brokenness that is promised to us in Jesus, in his birth, in his death, in his resurrection. And so much as this is a day of celebrating what God has already done, this is also a day where we recognize our longing, our longing for God to do more in our lives than what he has already done, a longing for our lives to feel the fullness and the completeness of God's coming kingdom, a longing for our lives to be free from the brokenness and sin that we experience day to day. An ordinary day for some of us may have the mundane things of getting up and eating breakfast and maybe getting out of our pajamas before noon and just kind of going through the motions, right? But an ordinary day is also marked with the heaviness of things in our lives that are not right. Of parents who have failing health. Of siblings who have wandered far from God. Of spouses and children whose relationships are broken. Of friends and neighbors. Co-workers who are so full of brokenness or bitterness that every time we interact with them, our heart breaks for them. Our ordinary day-to-day -day lives are much like those shepherds. There's brokenness. There's danger. And we often wonder, what can we do about it? We're just going to keep plowing through the motions. This Christmas Day, in the ordinariness of our lives, the brokenness, the joy, the sorrow, the heaviness, I invite us to pay attention to this child who's born to ordinary shepherds, born to an ordinary couple, Joseph and Mary, but born to accomplish an extraordinary purpose, to save us from our sins to restore us in relationship with God, with each other, and the world God has given us. Let's pray. God, we come before you today on a special holiday in our culture that recognizes and remembers your birth. We give gifts, we travel to see family and friends, we celebrate with all sorts of festive food. And for many of us, it's an extraordinary moment in the ordinary rhythms of our lives. We ask, Lord, that you help us to see that you came not just for those extraordinary moments, but that you came, your birth 
is one that is intended to set everything right, to make everything new, to set us right. We pray that you would transform us through Jesus' birth and the promise of his return. And even as we celebrate his birth, that you would deepen in us a longing for him to come back and to make all things new, including us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, our Savior. Amen. Invite us.